Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, IDC Directions 2022 with special guest, Dave Richard. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Darren. Glad to be here. This is going to be fun. Now, Dave, you are our lead solution architect um, in public sector for Department of Defense and in and the intelligence community. Well, that's a long title. That's a really long title. It is, but we got a team that basically solves the hardest problems and the challenges relative to a wide array of architectures that face the government. Um, and those also translate into the infrastructure, critical infrastructure like healthcare and energy, um, financial, industrial, um, those areas. So it's been a fun time. Been playing in those spaces for 25 plus years. Yeah. So Dave, tell me a little bit. This is your first time on the show. Won't be the last. Dave and I are peers. We work a lot together. It's You should have been on the show earlier. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm a, a, a slow doctor. Slow doctor. Oh, oh, great. All right. So Dave, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I'm based in Maryland, close to the, the government uh, epicenter, but I've got a lot of background experience in both technical and business development across those different markets I mentioned before. So um, a lot of the area that I've been specializing in over the years is on edge. So things out in the hyper edge and embedded space, but also um, those hard problems are accelerating workloads and trying to get the most out of an architecture that translate all the way up to enterprise and cloud as well. And you and I do some work in those areas too. So it's pretty wide swath and it's fun. All right. So recently you and I and also Anna and Gretchen, who are our other peers mm -hmm. um, you know, on our CTO team, we went to IDC Directions together to find out if all the stuff we've been proposing and telling the world's going to happen uh, to get some uh, validation, I guess is the right word, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we had the opportunity, a couple of folks on our team, Scott Phillips, um, he heads up our analyst relations team. And then Scott Ali also heads up public sector marketing for Intel said, hey, why don't you guys go out to the IDC survey and, and uh, see if there's some um, value for you all. And we did. We, we thought there was strong value to see if their trends and the things that IDC is seeing are in line with what we've been seeing and what we've been trying to push. Um, and if there's gaps, we want to try to understand that. So um, the other part was really, can we leverage IDC? Are there other services that they have that we just weren't aware of that might help us when we're trying to solve problems? So that was why we went out. So, all right. So was it worth it then? Was it worth the, uh, I mean, for you, for, for me, it was easy. It was in Santa Clara. I'm in Sacramento. It was a two hour drive. Uh, for you, it was yeah, more like a six or seven hour plane flight, right? Not bad. I mean, I, I travel across the country, so not a problem there, but uh, definitely worthwhile. One, I think we got validated. I mean, we, you and I and Gretchen and Anna, we, we talked during the sessions that um, the things that we were seeing and the challenges that we were working on are right in line with what IDC sees. In fact, um, talk a little bit later, but I think some of the stuff that we were seeing maybe even a little bit ahead of where some of the IDC folks are. And that was exciting to have some side conversations with their analysts around those topics. All right. So let's talk, let's talk about what they're seeing in the future. I thought it, I thought it was very interesting. They do, they do a great job at um, articulating um, the things that we're seeing. So I, I thought it was insightful. So, all right, let's go through the list. Yeah, I think they knocked it out of the park on articulating. Um, so 
a couple of the folks that we got that more than a couple of the folks we got exposed to was um, first they let off the whole conference with Crawford Delprit, and he is their IDC president. And so um, a couple other folks we got to see Rick Villers, who who is um, heads up their cloud, and he's a, a group vice president, as well as uh, Meredith Whalen, and she does the digital first strategies. So. Um, Sandra Ung is another group vice president. She talked a bit around how the CEOs, their decision making is really changing. Um, and then a person we got to have a sidebar with as well was Bob Parker. And he's a group vice president um, for their enterprise and their software areas. So good. So, I mean, we, this was a, a these, these conferences are great to go to because you are talking to people, industry experts that have a lot of uh, reach. Uh, they're talking to several thousand uh, different organizations a year. Um, so it, I, I thought it was insightful. It was. Um, they, they went into each area in depth. So um, it was interesting. When they started off the conference, the first thing on everybody's mind is the current events of Ukraine. Yeah. And so Crawford spoke to Ukraine um, with a lot of empathy, and the crowd was very in tune. But he also put um, it in perspective around this event that's happening, that's captivating everybody's attention, um, actually has real impact into the markets. And so they, he, he put up where IDC sees the trends going. Um, what impressed me the most about that was just the breadth of impact. Um, tech ex uh, the technology demand would be impacted. Just currency itself and how exchanges are done. Um, energy markets. Uh, they, and, and another thing that I hadn't thought about was just the skill set in Ukraine on the technology sector, that's going to be impacted um, for a few years to come as well. So, uh, you know, that was on the minds of folks. Um, he, he led off with that and I thought it was appropriate to do so. Um, then he moved into um, some of the other long-term trends. The biggest one is what they set the, the whole conference around was digital first and how that's impacting virtually every market and what that was. So he hit some highlights. A couple of the themes were around if, companies and economies and governments are going digital first was how that impacts scale, trust of the information, and just what the impact to those individual sectors are. So when you say, when he says digital first, or when you say, that's meaning everything's going to be online, everything's going to be accessible, especially yeah, so in government. Let's talk about that with respect to government. What does that really mean? Sure. So um, in one of the, the, the other talks, Meredith Whalen went into what digital first was. And the way I summed that up from, from listening to her was essentially any organization, business, government, um, whether you're in mining or banking, didn't matter, was, was to take an approach that from the end to end of my entire business, how do I make digitization into an actual product? How do I turn my business into some sort of digital product? Um, and, and she went into several examples around that. Uh, part of the driving force was that was just the, the trends and statistics. One of the things that she mentioned is by 2024, there's going to be about $10 trillion spent across all markets in digital products alone. Um, and that's wow. forced, the consumers are changing, right? And so it's forcing what you said, what does it mean to government? That consumer shift is forcing government to look at digitization too, not just in their in their services, but how they how they look at it, at, at, um, how they approach this digitization around you know world trade, world economies, currencies, etc. Well, I think that also even applies to, and we saw this during COVID, a big shift to online services. Like 
Everyone in California knows the worst place to interact with the state is the DMV. You schedule two days and you're going to be sitting there for, because you'll never have all the right paperwork the first time you go, whatever it is. They have streamlined that in such a fast manner. I do almost everything online now. And when I do go in, it's like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's it's right. a challenge for governments. Um, we just got out of a conference with our with our state and local and education folks. And in there, they brought up this challenge that governments at the local level all the way up to the national level um, are trying to grapple with. How do I handle the fact that I've got um, computer networks on multiple different systems? And in many cases, they're siloed. They're not put together. The bridges don't link them together. Sign-ons are are all over the place. You have to you have to have multiple accounts. And they this this trend is forcing government to look at things differently, to do things along the lines of what you mentioned. Hey, make it easy, streamline, and simple. Digital first revolution, big yep. big main wave. What's the next uh, next one that he talked? So it's an interesting one, and this is one where um, uh, they expanded on as well. Is a flip that's occurring, and you know IDC called them these big flips. Um, and one of the big flips is that with cloud computing, each CSP has their own infrastructure, um, and the infrastructure build isn't necessarily portable. So bridges are being built, um, and they they talked about fungible and non-fungible assets. And in the terms of fungible, I can easily exchange one thing for another. Another That would be fungible. Non-fungible means I can't easily exchange back and forth between them, treat one as though the other. And today, CSPs are not fungible. But right, I was gonna say, CSPs don't wanna be fungible, right? They, they want you using only their, their infrastructure, not someone else's. True. Um, but what's happening is, as you build out software development environments and software applications through their marketplaces, it's hard to move those across. Um, and today they talked about CEOs looking at their, at their um, CIOs and saying, hey, we spent money on software licenses. We've spent money on software access. Um, are we even using it? And the big question today that IDC pointed out is consumption. They called it consumption. Are we using what we actually paid for in licenses? Um, the trend, though, is that as we move forward, they are more focused, CEOs and CIOs are more focused on outcomes. It's not so much as we use it. Did it actually produce a business outcome, a real outcome of what we want? And to do that, the cloud service provider model tends to be an inefficiency. In other words, they need groups of software together, ecosystems of software working together, to deliver those outcomes and the ability to move with different companies together in an environment and to create that outcome because it's more than just one software package it's multiple ecosystems that work together is what they're looking for as you move ahead having having multiple clouds and hybrid clouds those ecosystems have to move seamlessly across those and so the trend is that cloud service architectures start to become fungible, not non-fungible. So bridge builders are going to be really important in that area. Um, and that's kind of the flip. So so that, and, we, and we've been talking about multi-hybrid cloud for some time, that we encourage our customers to make sure that they are using fungible services in those clouds, right? Because that is important that I need to 
be able to move my services around. So I love that. All right. So fungibility, it sounds like a fun word to say fungibility. It is. It is. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of, it's not normal lingo. But, no, um, but it's becoming more because of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Right. Right. So, so we're starting to see that. Right. So yeah, but that, that was the other flip. I was going to say, that's flip. another flip. Right. So they brought this up, which is today's data is fungible. I can move my data around where I need to go. Of course, there's costs associated with that. But um, getting the data into different areas is it's still in that fungible space. I can move it around and I can exchange my databases and, and move them in. There's some, you know, it's not. I can make copies of them, right? Exactly. I got several copies of my data all over, all that stuff. So the trend is that will move with NFTs is one example. That's moving to non-fungible data. Um, that's a Whoa. big deal. So now, now I have an entity, uh, a digital asset, whether it's my data, whether it's a thing that I actually own, but I have a digital representation of it for ownership. And now that data, that digital asset actually has ownership. Huge impacts for the future, for how data is handled, how it's managed. Think of the security, the trust, the business models that relate around that and the ecosystems that have to manage. I got data entities that I have to be able to accept and attest their validity of who owns them, where they're coming from and all the policy that goes with that. Is there a fear that that's going to slow down um, data insight? Because, I mean, right now, data can freely be copied uh, pretty much. I mean, once you have access to it, you can basically do whatever you want with it. You can copy it and then mutate it and all that, which makes it easy for data scientists, right? Because, oh, I'm just going to take a copy of that database, run my stuff through it. And now if you're saying non-fungible data... That's a whole different beast. That's going to start building up these walls around uh, this freeness that we have in data today. I think it's going to be a, there's going to be pros and cons. It's an evolution toward it. Um, on one hand, for the consumer, I think it puts more power in the consumer from a standpoint of privacy. Oh, yeah. That's my data, right? Right. It's my data. I have rights to it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the amount of data that's out there about us, our own behaviors individually. Um, if I'm a part of an organization, same thing. If I'm part of a company, same thing. Um, that data is out there and it's being used in ways that may not be in the best interest of the individual or the organization or the corporation. So that'll, that'll help probably swing, a, swing some of the, the influence and control to the, those who generate and who, who the data is about. Uh, but on the other, other side of it, yeah, if, um, if, we, if we start to have non-fungible data entities and assets, then the ecosystems of software that use that data, the data scientists that use that data, the analytics world, they have to deal with that in a much more concise and structured way. I think in the long run, and when you look out, you know, decades out, we have to handle that. And yeah. governments are probably behind that. They're not, in, they're not in front of this. They're kind of behind these trends. They're moving so fast. Um, but uh, as, as government institutions, and policymakers and lawmakers around the world, it's, it's probably gonna increasingly become an important part of, of how we handle and, and mix trade, um, not just on physical goods, but digital goods. So this could create a whole new market for okay. digital goods, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, just want, I just want one penny for every transaction. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That's all I want. I'll take, I'll take half a penny. <laughs> I guess I'm more greedy than you are, Dave. <laughs> 
<laughs> Each way I'd get to the point where it would be plenty. Yeah, it would be plenty. You're absolutely right. All right. So non-fungible, man, non-fungible data assets, digital assets. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what's the next, what's the next so, uh, big so trend? Let me, let me give a couple, a couple trend points on this, which I okay. took, out, took notes on that I thought was really interesting. Like how close is this transformation? How close is digital first really? Right. Um, and, and some of the things to think about um, are how do you visualize some of this? Um, one is today we've got credit cards and a wallet, which so is our credit card, but you, you can start to see digital tokens coming out which is real currency. So instead of regular currency, you have applications and communities. Think of the gaming communities where you buy tokens to get things of digital value to the, to the users. So those digital tokens will be part of this, this future world relative to how apps and ecosystems use non-fungible data. The other, the other is um, uh, they gave a great example in healthcare. Today, we use, you go into the doctor and they ask you what your symptoms are, right? And you can go online and do virtual, uh, virtual healthcare and they're asking for symptoms, they can see what's going on. Well, that'll all shift to real-time wearables. So now I've got real-time wearables that are monitoring my glucose levels, my heart rate, right? Um, changes in weight, changes in my body that are real-time, that's my data. It's gotta be secure, authenticated, I own it but I can also use it for services, services that aren't about symptoms, but are actually tailored algorithms, tailored services in healthcare about my own personal health history and my own personal current state, what's actually happening in my body to get the best diagnosis. So um, is this close? Is this real? And is it gonna affect things? Couple data points. One was um, Meredith Whalen brought this up. She said in 2022, it was the first time that as a service spending exceeded regular license spending in IT. Wow. Um, so as a service is dominant as we speak this year, and then that's going to move ultimately, the trends are eventually move away from as a service to an outcome-based model. And there are companies, um, you know, I've run across some companies in energy where uh, they would supply all the, all the energy uh, um, automation for measuring, you know, temperature, turning on HVAC systems, handling lighting, turning on and off um, uh, different heating and cooling systems, um, all aut autonomous. But instead of being paid for the system, instead of being paid as a service, what they did was they built their business model around, if we save you X money, X, X amount of dollars this year, we will run the system, but we get a cut of that. And that's outcome-based um, as it is today. Um, and so can you imagine if healthcare went that direction? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, that's a major shift. I and, keep, and keep me healthier. Keep me healthy. I'll pay you to keep me healthy. Right. Right. You'd I'll pay you it, not Eric. to come into I'll pay you not to have to come into your office. That that's a major shift. You'd have to do you have to do what they say, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that so, must frustrate so, doctors a lot by itself. Right. Oh, it's funny. My dentist, he wants me to floss all the time. And I don't, I rinse with like, you know, um, the, you know, the mouth rinses and stuff like that. But, and so each time I go back, he doesn't even ask me anymore. He's like, yeah. But the funny thing is this time that I did start flossing. So I'm going to surprise him when I go. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> 
But um, oh, so here's a couple other data points. One in 2023, they expect that the digital spend is going to be greater than the non-digital spend in companies. E wow, even like manufacturing companies. Yep, they talked about across the board. Now I didn't see the data broken out on each of those. Yeah, um, I imagine would be different, right? I mean, but I think it's a macro level. That's where a tipping point occurs. The digital spend will be greater than non-digital spend. In 2024, the talent pool follows. So the prediction from IDC is that for for um, most companies, the digital technical talent spend versus non-digital technical talent spend. Um, that crossing point will occur in 2024. And it's so important that CEOs, they've noted, are starting to talk about this on their, on their uh, earnings calls. The fact that there's a, a much bigger cost for digital talent, and that's starting to impact operating. Uh, that, that's very interesting because my brain just went to the agro business, right? Agriculture. Can you imagine, you know, uh, a farmer saying, yeah, I, I pay X amount of dollars. I pay more for my... Uh, IT guy over here in my programmer than I do for my farmhands. Yeah, it's a, it's a dramatic shift um, and it's, a, it's affecting bottom line. So they brought up a statistic that in, in five years, um, over 40% of all the revenue in these fields will be digital, financial, medical, leisure, retail, and manufacturing. In manufacturing, you wouldn't necessarily think. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought manufacturing. Yeah. Revenue would be generated out of digital products. That wow! So they're going to sell wrap head around a little bit. Okay. All right. So that's a. So how can I apply that to public sector? Because we're in the public sector space, right? Yep. So I there's going to be services, digital services for citizens. Yeah, right? I think I think they. You know, my view is one of the areas that they show up is in put of analytic to make from public sector to make everybody dependent from the individual to businesses, um, understanding what the real situation. So if I get a digital product from our governments and public sector that help make the economy run more efficiently, help make people travel through, travel through their city much more effectively. Um, you know, we got Google maps today and then Google maps, you take a look at it, you know, I find myself using Google Maps to find the place I want to eat, right? Oh, well, of course. Yeah, everyone does like that. A, yeah. Right. It's like a phone book, right? Um, but, you know, and it does an okay job of trying to give me different routes throughout, um, but it's not quite real time yet. But as, as it becomes more real time, there's going to be more services around that that, that pop out, you know. Uh, that, may, I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty wild time to see how that how that all translates for us in public sector. Security is going to be a big area. Um, the other part on this is when you think about cloud moving to fungible. Okay, these bridges and you and I have talked about this. These bridges across from cloud to cloud um, make a big deal. Um, and I think it was Rick. Let me see. I think it was Rick Villers. He brought this up, um, and it was. The bridging between systems has to be effective and efficient. And these mesh architectures that help with control, that also help with data movement across these systems, they're not really well built right now. And no, it may not. be by design, but that's an area that, um, that is going to expand. And public sector, you know, 
public sector is huge for silos. They've got separate systems all over, all over the government. And these systems have to work better together. So, and, well, and, and that's what we are cloud. hearing, right? Yeah, we're, we're actually hearing that from our customers. They're asking us, hey, how can you help us bring our data together? Um, because they're kind of ignoring the systems and saying it's the data that matters. And what we heard about that at, uh, at IDC was the same thing. I, um, data is going to be the key thing. And this change to non-fungible data is, is a big change. I, th this, one, this one's on, I'm going to watch, right? Yeah. I'm going to watch. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of bottlenecks and inefficiencies in the technology of going from one environment to another, one database structure to another, one app to another. And that's an area that's, that we know is going to have some strong innovation areas and areas that we've been working on. So um, it, it's important because when you think about the ecosystem, hey, I'm moving away from just buying a base set of software to do all my, all my main services to, hey, what I really want is an outcome. And there may be six different companies and six different software pieces that have to work together all with their individual piece, um, each with their own individual service. What I'd like to do is be able to have that across multiple clouds or across multiple platforms, even part of my own on-prem system and be able to move easily. And the bridging that has to occur to create those more complicated ecosystem interactions for real outcome, faster outcome, lower latency, relative to getting a decision and making a decision, the bridge makers are going to be really important to that. And that came no, out I agree. Rick, and, and Rick brought that out in, um, in his session on cloud at IBC. All right. All right. Let's shift. What, what's another trend that um, they were talking about? Yeah. So um, stuck out was, was software costs versus hardware costs. Okay. Um, the, the, CAGR for software will be double digits moving forward, which is 3x the hardware cost. Oh, wow. So from a standpoint of hardware in the system, and something that I've always been sensitive to is we have compute. People mostly think about compute from a CPU perspective. It's what you know 99% of the software was designed to run on, some version of a CPU. And then we have the advent of GPU. Well, that's a little bit of a different kind of, kind of compute engine. And there's also compute engines on AI that are, that are coming into the market. There's also compute engines that are on FPGA. There's also compute engines that are going to be coming into the network. Um, we've come out with our IPU, our processing unit. What it is, is there's a much faster growth of heterogeneous compute engines that are going to make up for efficiencies um, in the fundamental infrastructure of hardware, both out at the edge and up into the cloud. And so the challenge on hardware is to get that hardware into these major systems so that compute can be universally accessible to the ecosystem of software running on top of that. Today, even, though, well, even, even though it's heterogeneous compute, right? I mean, well, and, and on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually talked about heterogeneous compute and how this is starting to skyrocket. And this is where one API that Intel is, is you know, um, 
kind of they're guiding um, this open standard called One API for heterogeneous compute, right? So what you're saying is there's going to be a lot of hardware that's differentiated because of the different types of workloads that they can run, but the software stacks on top are still going to explode. So to make it highly accessible, we need kind of that framework layer, that one API layer. Yeah. Um, you know, a while back I was working on some use cases relative to bringing data in from sensors at the edge into the cloud. And some of that workload, some of that desired outcome was, hey, I have some, I have some motors and I got some pumps running out there. And I can monitor when fluctuations start to occur, but I need to know within a, a matter of milliseconds to shut those things down right. if there's a problem. Okay. Um, I can't get that kind of latency through all the way through the enterprise system. So I ended up with extra systems just to handle some of these critical use cases out on the edge to respond fast enough. Okay. But if I was able to pull some of that, that heterogeneous technology into the cloud and enterprise environments, I might be able to do that in a way that utilizes the backend enterprise system in an effective way. Um, so just an example of where some of these bottlenecks occur um, relative to the hardware not being accessible. And today we have the ability to, to solve that with a mixture of heterogeneous technologies. Okay, so Dave, was there anything at IDC that surprised you? That was like, wow, wow that's, we hadn't thought of that or we're thinking in a different direction than IDC found through their, through their research. So look, there, there's there's an area that stuck out that hadn't stuck out before, and and that is um, that I, I think we were around it, Darren. For the most part, I felt good coming away from it. Um, you know, I felt validated too. I yeah, felt like, hey, yeah, and we, Anna and you and I, yeah. I think we felt pretty validated that yeah, these trends that they're talking about were work. We are we're on those and we're seeing them. Um, it was funny some of the some of the conversations we had with some of the breakouts one on ones. Um, I think we were giving them a bit of things to think about and giving them some real world examples of, hey, where we, we see what they're talking about and where it's headed. So I felt very validated. But one of the things that stuck out to me was context. Um, the, oh, yeah, the I remember data, that. Data, out, data outside of context is just a, it's just a data point. And, and I'll bring up a great example. I go out to California and I fly out there and I'm, I'm in the jetway, that little ramp that takes you down to the, to the plane. And on the side, just before you go into the plane, is a sign from the state of California that talks about how there's cancer-causing agents around here, right? That's a data point. And California has those stamped all over the place, but there is no context. And it, it's kind of funny. And I, I was coming we, back. We, we do that to scare people out of California <laughs> because we don't want context, anyone else moving here. There's not enough housing. Oh, my gosh. If you didn't know the context, you'd be terrified. Because yeah, it's data yeah. outside of context. Now, um, that stuck out to me because sometimes data matters and it only matters in the right context. But if it's out of context, it doesn't matter or it actually worse can distract you um, and could, could, could uh, put you on the right or the wrong path for what you're trying to do. And so when we deal with our edge systems and we deal with our enterprise and cloud and try to bring that together, what happens in, in these cloud and enterprise systems is a lot of experiences. You know, there's a ton of data and there's a lot of analytics to help you give sense of context. And when you can bring that context forward to real-time data, data coming in, 
and then manage what's happening, you get much better, more efficient, more effective decision making. And the idea that um, moving from data focus to context focus, um, I think we've been dealing with that a lot, but they just, IDC really put a put a stamp on that. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. So, and, and that context will help with AI, will help with um, customer engagement, citizen, warfighter engagement, all those sorts of things. It really does. All right. So, hey, Dave, this has been wonderful. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. I, I, I know we could talk for a couple hours on all oh, the yeah. different aspects here, but hopefully this gives people a little taste. I know there's a lot of IDC reports that are available out there. Go, go out there and check out um, our blog and our website on this, uh, where we have some links out there for you. Thanks, Darren. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.